Chapter 11 Wherever they burn books, they will also, in the end, burn human beings. Heinrich Heine, German poet. Over a week later, Anna still wasn't speaking to me. She blames us for what Peter did, I said to Fritz as we walked to school. It's like we're not even friends anymore. You're not. Fritz spoke sharply at first, then drew in a deeper breath. Just be patient, Gerda. Their family is in a lot of trouble. But that's not my fault. You don't know what it's like to face the... Stasi. Even after a week, he hesitated before naming them, and I wondered if the bruise they'd given him was nothing compared to other wounds that maybe couldn't be seen. Anna understands it now. If they told her to avoid our family, then that's what she's going to do. It's her only choice, really. If they told you to avoid me, would you? I asked him. Fritz just chuckled and rubbed my head. Avoid you? Don't be silly. You and Mama are the only reasons I'm still here. I laughed along with him, but not really. I knew a part of him had meant exactly what he said. In the days since coming back from the Stasi, something about Fritz had changed. He was working fewer hours, or maybe not even working at all. I wasn't sure. He blamed his mood on the rainy spring weather, but I felt certain there was more to it. He was spending more evenings at the youth clubs, playing table tennis, and had gone to the theater on a couple of nights with his friends, even though he admitted the movies weren't much for entertainment. I did notice him combing his hair more carefully before he went out. Maybe he had a girlfriend. I hoped she liked moodiness, because that was also part of the new Fritz. Since I didn't have Anna for company, and since I figured making friends with anyone else would just infect them too... I took up reading and went through books so quickly that the librarian said she wondered if I would end up reading all the books the library contained. I doubted that. I made it a point to avoid the books that sounded too preachy, although I did check them out now and then in case the Stasi wanted to add my book choices to their secret files. And there weren't many books I really wanted to read anyway. A lot of shelves that had once been filled were empty now. Because books make people think. The GDR wanted to be sure it was their kind of thinking. Mama seemed to like the idea of me reading, since she knew I would be safe at home while she was at work. And she definitely liked Fritz doing more with his friends. She thought it meant we would eventually become more settled into our lives here. Mama still didn't know anything about the files. Both Fritz and I had decided that wouldn't do her any good. Nor did she understand that I had too much of my father in me to ever be settled in my life here. I was so much like him, in fact, that I hoped he would understand why I avoided the route to and from school that would take me past the platform. I figured if the Stasi were watching us, the worst thing was for them to see my father up there dancing out the lyrics to a song while I tried to figure out what it meant. I wasn't even sure if I wanted to figure it out. Whatever secret he buried before he left, I doubted it was worth the risk of digging it up. Our family didn't need any more trouble, and that was all we get if I did understand his dance. By mid-May, the whispers of summer were growing. School would be out soon, we'd have time to run and play like children should, and the weather was becoming so perfect that it felt like torture to be inside. 
which was exactly my attitude late one afternoon as the temperature in the apartment became unbearably warm. I had opened the windows, and the breeze was perfect enough that I put on my shoes to go outside. Mama didn't like me to wander alone on the streets while she was gone, but this was the middle of the day. I felt perfectly safe. I had just finished buckling up my shoes when I heard a scuffle going on in Herr Krause's apartment next door. He wasn't alone. Something was wrong. Through the thin walls of our apartments, I heard him cry out for help, and I darted into the hallway. I wasn't exactly sure what I should do, but there were always people down on the street. Perhaps I could run downstairs and bring someone back to help him. He cried out again, and then something crashed against the door. Hold on, I yelled. I'll get the police. His door opened, and Herr Krauss collapsed onto the floor in the hallway. His head was bleeding, and he was groaning. Two men followed him through the doorway and grabbed him by the shoulders. We are the police, one of them snarled at me. Go back inside. No. They were Stasi. Their greenish-gray uniforms and the square and compass emblem on their hats were dead giveaways to their identity. The question was why they had come for our neighbor. What has he done? The question fell from my mouth before I could think better of it. Surely they had made a mistake. Herr Krauss wouldn't swat a fly without feeling guilt. But they began dragging him away without answering. Two more Stasi left his apartment next. The smaller of them pushed past me to clear the way for his companion, who was carrying an armful of books, papers, and what appeared to be rubber stamps. It was a child's playset. I used to have one just like it, in fact, so I couldn't think of any reason Herr Krauss should have it, or why the Stasi would be interested if he did. Unless it wasn't being used for play. A gust of wind came from my open apartment door and blew into the hallway. It caught a few papers from the officer's hands and scattered them on the ground. Without thinking, I reached down to help pick them up. Sure enough, the printing on them was stamped with a message that looked as if it had been hand-carved into the stamp. If I cannot speak what I think, then it's a crime just to be me. Despite its promises of a free press, the state controlled all printing machines and wrote the stories for the newspapers to publish. No citizen was allowed to write his own ideas if they differed from the state message, and certainly it was against the law to distribute those writings. But that's exactly what Herr Krauss had done. He had carved a political message into children's toy stamps, and in so doing had risked years of imprisonment. From what I knew of Stasi prisons, there would be no public trial, and he would have no opportunity to defend himself. His interrogators would stop at nothing before he signed a confession for whatever crimes they decided he had committed. In effect, Herr Krauss's life was already over. Give me that paper, the shorter officer ordered me. Something about him seemed familiar, though I couldn't quite place him. Let her read it. Herr Krauss shouted from the end of the hallway. Why is the GDR so afraid of letting its people think? But the officer shoved me against the wall, and in the moment when our eyes met, I whispered, I know you. He was a friend of Fritz's, or used to be years ago. When I was very young, he used to ride me around on his back like a pony. Didn't he remember that? Didn't he know me too? 
He reached for the paper, but for some reason I clutched it to my chest. He raised a hand and slapped me hard across the cheek. I gasped as it knocked the breath from me, too. Then someone shouted, That's my sister! Please stop! Suddenly, Fritz was at my side. He apologized to the officers, then grabbed the paper from my hand. When Fritz went to give it to the officer holding me, his eyes widened. Victor? That was his name. I remembered it now. Victor clearly recognized my brother, too. But in an instant, his expression hardened again, and his grip on my shoulder tightened. Fritz reached out a hand to me, but Victor wasn't loosening his hold. I shuddered inside. Was I going to be arrested, too? Fritz's voice remained calm. Victor, let her go. For the sake of our friendship. Finish with the girl and come, Victor's companion called. After a final squeeze on my shoulder, he shoved me toward Fritz and said, The Stasi have no friends. You'll be joining us soon. You'll find out. Once they left, Fritz hauled me into our apartment and locked the door behind us. What were you thinking? He yelled. I heard Herr Kraus calling for help. Printing a paper can't be such a bad crime, is it? It's not up to us to determine his crimes or to help him. Fritz slumped onto the couch, closed his eyes, and massaged his temples as if a sudden headache had come on. In a quieter voice, he said, Victor and I used to be friends. He was a good guy. Once. I sat beside Fritz, feeling as exhausted as he looked. Is that what'll happen to you after you go to the military? Fritz only sat up and stared blankly back at me. Yes. I think it's exactly what will happen. Chapter 12 Do not rejoice in luck. Do not hesitate in the storm. German proverb Fritz and I agreed we shouldn't tell Mama about Herr Krause's arrest and the trouble I'd nearly gotten into there. She seemed happier lately, and neither of us wanted to ruin it for her. We're in a routine again. Mama often said at dinner, That is good. But the routine was starting to wear on me, and something about reading the stamped message from Herr Krauss made me want to see my father again. It seemed like something Papa would have said if he were here. The next morning, I looked for him as I approached the crowded platform. It was a Saturday, only a half day of school for us, but my least favorite day to walk there because of the Western tourists who often came to the wall on the weekends. They took pictures, brought their binoculars, and stared into our world as if we either needed or wanted their pity. I hated that they watched helplessly but did nothing for us. Then I stopped, as if I had just seen myself in a mirror for the first time. Who was I to complain about them? Wasn't I guilty of the same thing? Of staring helplessly and doing nothing about my own problems? The tourists couldn't do anything for me. Not even the powerful governments of the West could break through what they called the Iron Curtain. And everyone inside East Germany with any sort of influence stood shoulder to shoulder with Russia. No, there was only one person who could change my situation. Me. A couple of Grenzers were patrolling the wall this morning, but I didn't have their attention yet. Nor did I care. I knew down to my toes that my father would be on the platform 
and I wanted to see him. I didn't at first, but then as I kept walking forward, Dominic pushed to the front of the crowd and pointed to me. He gave a whoop I thought I could hear from where I stood, and then called down. Almost instantly my father was on the platform too. He started into his dance with the digging, but the platform was far too crowded. And he didn't need to do it. I understood what he wanted, just not where. So I counted out three long and deliberate paces. Then, with only a peek his way, I knelt on the ground and drew a small X. X marks the spot. My father nodded back at me, and I hoped he understood what I wanted to know. The problem was that even if he did, how could he possibly communicate to me something as complicated as where I should be digging or what sort of treasure I might be looking for? It had been risky enough for me to draw the X, and though I quickly brushed it out with my foot afterward, I still drew the attention of a couple of guards in the tower who shouted down for me to walk on. I quickly obeyed and hurried away with my heart pounding, but it wasn't from fear. It was excitement for what my father might do next. Only a few days later, I found out. On most school days, our teacher allowed us some time in the afternoon to quietly study with one another, and since it was near the end of the school year, there were some important tests coming up, so she gave us more study time than usual. Although Anna had successfully avoided being anywhere near me for weeks, this time the teacher assigned her to join my group, and the only spare seat was right next to me. I glanced sideways at her, but she did a good job of pretending not to notice. Anna, I whispered, can we talk? She answered by raising the book in front of her face so that no one, especially me, could see her. A sour-faced boy across from us snorted. Since when did she become too good for the rest of us? I kicked him in the shins, hard. When he started to complain, I slouched like I was preparing to kick him again, and I would have if necessary. From the corner of my eye, I noticed Anna lower her book just a little, and I was pretty sure I caught the barest hint of a smile. Nearing the end of group time, we were discussing the causes of America's Great Depression when Anna silently slipped a folded paper into my hand. All school kids know how to secretly pass notes, but this one surprised me. I wanted to thank her. No, I wanted to grab her shoulders and pull her into the tightest hug ever, but I didn't do either. Instead, I slipped the note between the pages of my folder and began counting the minutes until school ended. Once we were dismissed, I quickly found a quiet spot under a tree, and only then did I dare to unfold the paper. At first, what I saw made no sense. It was just a pencil drawing of an old building. Square and made entirely of brick, there were two long windows in the front, but with no glass in them except for jagged pieces in the corners. An old chimney ran up the side of the building, but the bricks were shaded darker, suggesting it was an addition to the original place. There were three ground-level window openings, too, but no door, so I might have been looking at the back of the building. That frustrated me. As hard as it would be to find any building in East Berlin, it would be nearly impossible to see the backs of them without wandering from yard to yard. Anna couldn't draw a circle, much less a building, so I knew this hadn't come from her. But there was no letter, 
no artist's signature, and no explanation of why I should have received it. Anna walked past me a minute later. I stuffed the picture into my folder and then caught up to her. Nothing's changed, she said. Please go away. I will. I mean, I will in a minute. Just tell me about that picture. I don't know anything about it. But she had to know something. So I touched her arm and said, Please, Anna, then I'll leave. She stopped and I saw tears in her eyes. She looked around us and then in a voice so low I barely heard it said, We have family in West Berlin. Someone told them about Peter's death and they sent us a letter of consolation. This picture was in that letter with your first name on it, but I don't know why or where it came from. It was from my father. I was sure of that. And while I was less certain, I thought Dominic might have done the drawing. He used to be artistic, though I had no way of knowing if he still was. I started to tell her so, but she shook her head to cut me off and said, Don't say anything else, please. You don't want me to know why you got that. I don't even know. She started to leave, but I added, Anna, I want us to be friends. I thought I saw her soften just for a minute. Then her face became stone again until I barely recognized her as the girl I had once known so well. I hid the picture before my parents saw it, she said. But you and I both know it means something. I can't do any more favors for you, Gerda. Next time, I will tell someone. I backed away to let her leave. If she suddenly pulled a mask from her face, revealing a Stasi officer in disguise, I wouldn't have been any more surprised than I already was. Because that's who it felt like I was talking to. And who knew? Maybe I was. I looked at the drawing one more time before setting off for home. Well, not directly home. Somewhere in East Berlin, this building was waiting for me. I needed to find it. And that's where I would dig. Chapter 13 In the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. Albert Einstein, German physicist and intellectual. Three days of searching turned up nothing. So many places came close, but something was always different from the picture. It had the wrong type of roof, or different windows, or no chimney at all. It seemed like everything built since the war looked alike, and the building in the drawing appeared older than that. About a half mile east of my school was a street of older homes, but I didn't see the one from the drawing among them. I was beginning to wonder if this building really existed, at least in East Berlin. The fourth day was another Saturday, a week since I had last seen Papa. Mama sent me to school with a loaf of bread to give to Anna's family. It wasn't much, but it was all we had to spare. And Mama wouldn't have dared offer more anyway. Anna's family was still being shamed for what Peter had done. Mama didn't want it to look like our families were that close. But Anna wasn't in school that day, and the teacher said she had complained the day before of not feeling well. So I decided to deliver the bread on my way home that afternoon. At least it gave me the opportunity to walk a different neighborhood of Berlin. And a part of me hoped that as her sorrows healed, so would our friendship. Anna met me at the door, and although she looked as healthy as anyone else, I didn't question her. If I could get away with faking sickness to skip school, 
I'd do it every day and not feel a hint of guilt. Before Anna slammed the door, I shoved the loaf of bread at her. This is from my mother, I said lamely. She thought your family might want it. She didn't seem too enthusiastic about accepting it. And though I wanted to believe the Stasi couldn't find anything wrong with my mother's simple gift, I wasn't that naive. Not anymore. But whether she wanted it or not, the bread was in Anna's hands now, and the only way she could refuse it would be to drop it on the floor or hurl it back at me. If she did, I wouldn't have much cared. All Mama had asked was that I give her the bread, not force her to keep it. Finally, Anna mumbled, Thank you. She started to close the door, but I put a foot on the jam to block it. I'm sorry Peter's gone, but you shouldn't be ashamed of what he tried to do. Though I hadn't planned to say that, the words poured out of me. The thoughts had swirled in my head for so long. It was a relief to speak them, and at least I was careful to keep my voice low. He wanted a better life, a free life. You can't blame him for that, or at least I don't. We have a good life here, Anna said. Why wasn't it enough for him? I explained it to her the way Fritz explained it to me long ago. You've seen the sun, Anna. Now that you have, could you ever be content with just the stars for light? Would that be enough for you? Anna bit her lip and her eyes darted both ways along the hallway. If anyone had been there, she'd already have shut her door on me. When she was sure that we were alone, she whispered, The night he tried? Escaping? Peter left a letter for us on his bed. The Stasi have it now, but his roommate at the university found it first and told us what it said. The final line was, If I don't stand for freedom, then I must sit in chains. Is that what you believe too, Gerda? Of course I did. We were in chains, even if she couldn't see them. I spent six days a week in a school that taught me freedom was a lie and every minute in public pretending I believed it. She knew the consequences for speaking out just as I did. Why else was Herr Kraus arrested? And there was the wall. If life was so terrible beyond it, then why force us to stay here? But I couldn't say any of this to her. Not anymore. Anna seemed to already have the answer for her question. Her gaze hardened. I told my parents the real people in chains are those who break our laws. They must know they're going to be caught sooner or later. Suddenly, our simple conversation began to sound like an accusation. I wasn't sure why. As far as I knew, I wasn't breaking any laws. None of the big ones, anyway. A door opened down the hallway, and I turned to see who was coming. In that instant, Anna slammed her door shut, and I became a disease again. I marched from her apartment with a few unkind phrases in mind that I wished I had said while I had the chance. She was practically quoting the state's propaganda, no better than a puppet on their string. Besides, I had only brought bread, not smuggled goods or revolutionary pamphlets. No secret messages were baked inside, and we asked for nothing in return. It was only bread, and yet she had treated me like I'd brought the plague. No, she believed something worse. That wherever I went, the Stasi would eventually follow. That was a ridiculous idea. Wasn't it? 
I decided to take a shortcut home, which sent me down a narrow alley that I usually avoided because of the leftover rubble from the bombings at the end of the last war. But this time, all I wanted was to get home and slam my bedroom door behind me and try to forget I had ever been friends with Anna. Except where I should have turned back onto the main road, I looked farther down the alley and saw it led to the back of some other older buildings. I'd never been on this abandoned street before, yet it still felt familiar. Walking faster to keep pace with my racing heartbeat, I took in the details of one particular building. It was old and square and made of brick and looked like it would crumble if hit by a strong enough wind. Two long windows ran up the back and a chimney going up the side was made of a darker colored brick. The three square windows at ground level were boarded up and once I left the alley it was easy to see why. The building now served as part of the Berlin Wall. Tall cinder block rows butted up directly against the old building and the barbed wire emerged from the wall all the way up and over the top of the building. I could only assume the front of the building was inside the death strip, and that it was sealed up, too. Two more old buildings connected in a row to the building in front of me, then the wall continued on from there. The ground where I now stood looked like a small patch of forgotten farmland. It was infested with weeds, some that were almost as tall as me. Halfway to the road, a deep irrigation ditch supplied a small pond. Far to the left and behind the wall was a watchtower, which I knew from all my previous observations was always staffed with Grenzers, who constantly looked out for anyone getting too near the wall. But they'd need binoculars to see me well, and there didn't appear to be a border zone here, or at least nothing was marked to keep us away from the wall, and the tire tracks from the Grenzer patrols didn't look too recent. My eyes flicked back to the building in front of me as my heart pounded with possibilities. This was the place my father had wanted me to find, and something was buried inside it. I didn't know what, but the first chance I got to return with Mama's shovel, I intended to find out. Chapter 14 Who wagers nothing, he wins nothing. German Proverb my opportunity came the following morning. It was Sunday, and Mama had plans to go to church. She never invited us along, not because she didn't want us there, but because she knew the state frowned on religion. They wouldn't punish her for being in church, not directly anyway, but she thought it might somehow affect Fritz and me, another stain in our files. Fritz said he had plans to meet up with some friends, which I think included a girl named Claudia. The only things I knew about her was she sold bicycles and wore her hair in the bouffant style like young women did in the West. I overheard Fritz's friends teasing him about her, and by his reaction it was obvious that he liked Claudia a lot. The minute he left, I hurried down to the basement of our apartment, grabbed our shovel, and left for that old building in Papa's picture. I had hoped for an uneventful walk there, but a young girl hauling a big shovel through the city is hardly inconspicuous. I hadn't even left my own block when Frau Eberhardt, a woman who lived in our apartment building, greeted me and asked, Where are you going with that? Does your mother know what you're up to? Frau Eberhardt always looked to me like the human version of a turkey, minus the feathers. 
She collected gossip like other women might collect buttons or teacups. In the West, she'd have been dismissed as a simple busybody or snooping neighbor. But behind the wall, we all knew the neighborhood tattler was as dangerous as fire. Stasi informants were paid well. I, um, want to surprise my mother, I stammered. I found an area for a garden just a few streets away. Inwardly, I kicked myself for the way my voice had trembled as I lied, for looking anywhere but at her. No, I was supposed to be smarter than this. Papa expected more of me. Somehow knowing he would want me to lie made it easier. Frau Eberhardt's beak of a mouth pursed together as if she wasn't quite sure whether I had told the truth. I was sure she could read the deceit that was almost certainly written all over my face. But this wouldn't be my last lie. Mama often warned me that the Stasi had blanketed the country with informants. It might be a bus driver or a co-worker or even a family member. And it wouldn't have surprised me in the least if the woman I was facing ran off to the Stasi to tattle on me if she guessed the real reason for my shovel. Finally, she smiled. A garden is a delightful surprise for any mother. But if you want me to keep your secret, then I'll expect some of your harvest. Maybe that was just polite conversation and was totally meaningless. Or maybe she wanted a bribe for her silence. I really didn't know. Either way, it presented a problem since there wasn't going to be any harvest. All I could do was avoid bumping into her again for a long time. Forever, if I could arrange it. Once I spotted the building, I did a careful check for any officers in the area. This time, fresh tire tracks ran through the crusty dirt, so I knew they had come through only last night. Hopefully, that meant they wouldn't feel the need to come back around any time soon. I got as close to the Berlin Wall as I dared, but not because I was challenging the Grenzers. Just the opposite, in fact. I knew if any eyes looked down on this area, then the closer I stood to the wall, the better chance I would have of slipping past them unnoticed. For my own safety, I would use their barricade against them. My heart was locked in my throat as I crossed to the building, but nothing suggested that anyone had seen me. No sirens or barking dogs or soldiers shouting orders. After a tense moment, I finally allowed myself to breathe again. Like all the others around it, this building looked like an old shop that had been abandoned for longer than I'd been alive, and there was no reason for anyone to come to this out-of-the-way street. I crouched beside each of the ground-level windows and pressed at the boards, hoping for one that seemed loose. The first two windows were still boarded up tight, but the third seemed to have some give. I had to use the shovel to pry the boards loose, but I finally managed to open up a small gap, then slide through it. Once inside, I had a short jump onto a hard dirt floor. It smelled of mold and rotting wood from the floorboards above me, and the standing water in the corners probably still hadn't dried out from winter. The only light came in slivers between the wood boards across the windows and painted creepy dusty shadows. It gave me a shiver, though I couldn't be sure if that was because the room was chilly or because I was afraid. No matter how eerie this room was, I also knew full well that the boundary for the Berlin Wall ran straight through this building. If I touched the brick on the far end of this room, I would be standing within the line of the death strip. In fact, 
I thought the Grenzers would probably consider this entire building inside that forbidden zone. If so, then I was in the death strip now. I wanted to leave, to just climb back out the window and run to the safety of my bedroom. I never had to tell anyone about this place, and the next time I saw my father I could just shrug at him as if I had never gotten that picture. He could go forward with his life, and I would go forward with mine. But now that I was here, I knew I couldn't do that. Papa wanted me to find this building, and he wanted me to dig here. I wasn't sure why he had chosen this place, but it was important enough to let me take the risk of standing here. It had to be good, an entire chest full of money, or better yet, fake passports that would allow us an easy slide across the border. Or something better than I could dream of. Something he believed was worth the risk to my life. A crumbling stone stairway led to the main floor above me. I poked my head up there, and printed in old paint on the wall was a faded sign that simply said, Willkommen. In that moment, I named this place in my mind. The Welcome Building. The main floor was empty except for piles of old brick. The same brick filled every window and door opening facing onto the death strip. There was enough brick so they could have sealed up all the back openings too. Maybe they'd given up before they finished. Another stairway went to an upper level, an attic maybe. But nothing would ever get me up there where I was even more exposed. I crept back downstairs on the hunt for Papa's treasure. After choosing my starting place, I raised the shovel, stuck the tip of the blade into the dirt, and crunched my foot down on the blade's shoulder. But in the hard earth, it didn't even go down a full centimeter. I tried again, pushing harder, and even jumped on it, using all my weight to force the blade into the ground. But nothing I did made any difference. It was like digging through concrete with a spoon. I moved the shovel to a different spot and tried again, but still with no success. The same thing happened in another corner. It was quickly becoming obvious that my father hadn't buried a single thing in this basement, not unless he had done it 30 years ago, because I was convinced this hard ground hadn't been disturbed for at least that long. I tried in still another place, right in the center of the room. This time, my blade struck something metal. It rattled enough that I quickly fell to my knees to quiet the echoing vibrations. I dropped the shovel and ran my fingers along the ground, feeling for the edges of the metal. Whatever it was, it lay nearly at the surface with only a thick layer of dust to cover it. If my father was going to bury something to be kept secret from the Stasi, he could have done better than putting it right at the surface. Anyone might find it this way. Then my heart dropped as I realized another possibility. Maybe his treasure had already been discovered, and only the empty container remained. I had found the edges now, some sort of metal plank wide enough to stand on. When I brushed off the dirt, I saw grooves cut into one side and hinges on the other. This wasn't a plank, it was a door buried in the earth. Curiosity was mounting inside my chest, so much that I almost couldn't stand it. I pried the door up with the shovel and then pulled it the rest of the way open. The door was heavier than I had imagined, but I was certain that something inside it would make all the risk and effort worth it. With some effort, I got the door open. I peered down, 
but it led to a hole too deep to see the bottom with a rusty metal ladder on the side that I didn't entirely trust to hold my weight. Nor did I have any interest in diving into some unknown darkness without knowing whether I could get back up again and with nobody in the world aware of where I was. I wished I had a flashlight. I walked around it to try to get a better sense of what was down there, then happened to notice dim writing stamped onto the underneath side of the door. Luftschutzraum, an air raid shelter. There were hundreds of them all over Berlin, places built underground during the Second World War when the Allies began bombing the city. There was nothing special about them. We had one under our own apartment building, in fact, and so did Anna. So there was no reason, none at all, why my father would go to the trouble of putting anything special inside this one, so far from home. I closed up the door and even scattered dirt across it again, then did my best to erase any evidence that I had been here. Obviously, I had misunderstood my father's instructions. Whatever his meaning was with the silly dances in the picture, I couldn't understand it. Maybe there was no meaning. Maybe his dance was only a dance, and this picture was only a picture. It might not even be from him at all. If I was reading secret messages into it, that was only a sign of my boredom and desire to find some lost connection to my father. I climbed out of the basement, pulled the boards that had blocked the window back into place, and stashed the shovel beneath some rubble in the alleyway so I wouldn't have to answer any questions about it on the way home. I hadn't lost hope. No, that wasn't the right word for it. It wasn't lost because I didn't intend to try finding it again. As I walked home that morning, I simply accepted the reality that it was wrong for me to ever have had hope in the first place. Chapter 15 Who shows courage encourages others. Adolf Kolping German priest and social reformer. The following Wednesday, two letters came to our door. The first was from Oma Gertrude, my mother's mother and the woman for whom I'd been named. For as far back as I could remember, Oma Gertrude had always been old, but over the last year she had also begun to have some health problems. The state was usually very cooperative about giving my mother time off from work to take care of Oma's needs. But Mama seemed worried this time. She's fallen and broken her leg, Mama said. I'll have to stay with her for a while. Perhaps the state will give me work near her home. What about us? I asked. Our family was separated enough. I didn't want Mama leaving too. We can take care of ourselves, Fritz offered. School is almost out for the summer, and I've got to stay here in Berlin and work. Gerda can take care of things around the house. I'll come home as soon as I can. Then Mama frowned, second-guessing herself. You should both come with me. No. Fritz and I were in agreement about that. Aside from whatever work he could find, Fritz had a girlfriend here now. And I didn't want to stay with Oma. Her house smelled like fish and there was nothing to do. So against my mother's better judgment, it was decided that we would stay in Berlin while she went to the countryside to help Oma Gertrude. None of us seemed particularly happy about the idea, but we all agreed it was our best option. The second letter was for Fritz. It was from the military, reminding him that he would turn 18 in June. 
By the end of that month, he would be expected to enroll for a year and a half of service. Refusing to serve, the letter clearly stated, would have serious consequences. Well, of course it would. Everything had serious consequences. Fritz's eyebrows pressed together as he read it, and I could tell that he was bothered. But even if he was, he clearly remembered, as we always did now, that the ears of the Stasi were hidden somewhere in our apartment, and so he couldn't say anything when he finished other than, This is a great opportunity. I can hardly wait. Fritz wasn't as good a liar as I was, probably because he had a genuinely good heart, or a better heart than mine anyway. His attempt to sound positive came out sounding sarcastic and brittle, so I countered by saying, I know you're excited, but we'll miss you. It sounded believable, though my sympathetic expression to him said otherwise. He smiled a thanks in return. Mama didn't appear to have noticed any difference in him or any particular strangeness in the tone of his words, but neither of us blamed her for that. She looked more tired every day, and now with the news of Oma needing care and the reminder of Fritz's military duty, I was sure Mama's mind was full of all the worries it could possibly hold. She left early to go into work and speak with her supervisor. Fritz said because of that we had some extra time too, and did I want him to walk me to school? I should have refused his offer. After all, I was plenty old enough to get myself to school, but I missed walking with Anna, and it would give us a chance to talk in private. It was a busy morning, with the street full of trabants, the bulky, inexpensive eastern cars that were about as reliable as snow in July. The common joke said that the best feature of any trabant was the heater in back, which would warm your hands as you pushed it home. As we left the building, a white truck pulled up directly in front of our apartment. It looked like a delivery truck but had no markings on it at all. That alone was odd. Our building rarely received deliveries. A door opened and a man was pushed out onto the street. He fell on his hands and knees, and the second I recognized our neighbor, I darted over to help him up. Herr Kraus? I glanced up only long enough to see Victor, Fritz's former friend, standing in the doorway of the truck. He frowned at me and then eyed Fritz. Neither of them said a word, and Victor's expression was so cold I thought maybe he had turned to ice. Then he shut the door and the truck drove away. Herr Kraus had heavy bags under his eyes, and his hands were shaking. Are you all right? I asked him. Can we send for a doctor? He put his hands on either side of my face, and tears streamed down his cheeks. I never should have printed those papers, he said. Do you hear me? I was wrong. By then, another woman in our apartment had seen Herr Kraus. She darted forward and used her shoulders to prop him up. Fritz held out a hand and said, I can carry him in. No. The woman pushed his hand away as if he had offered poison rather than help. It's better for everyone if you go to school. Her eyes darted around the street. Please, just go. It's getting worse, Fritz said to me when we were alone. People are more suspicious of us, and they keep their distance. Word is getting out that I was arrested. Anna barely looks at me anymore. Then I shrugged. School is out at the end of this week, though, so at least during the summer I won't have to watch her ignore me all day. Fritz stopped walking and shoved his hands in his pockets. There's this girl I like. 
Claudia? He smiled at first, hearing her name, but it quickly faded away. Yeah. We've known each other for a long time, but just started dating a few weeks ago. I like her a lot, actually, and even asked if she'd wait for me until I got my release from the military. She said she would. Until last night. Her father doesn't want us dating anymore. Why not? Fritz kicked at the ground with his foot. The Stasi showed him my file. They suggested it wouldn't be good for Claudia to continue dating me. I'm sorry, Fritz. My sympathy wouldn't make him feel any better, I knew that, but I felt his hurt and frustration like it was my own. He only sucked in a whistle of air and then blew it out again. Ever since I was arrested a couple of months ago, I've tried, Goethe. Honestly, I have. I've tried to say the right things and do the right things and be whatever it is they want of me. But the more I try to do what they want, the more I understand that my life has been put on this track to failure. From now on, wherever I go, they will stand in my way. I can't win against them. You can get Claudia back. I'm sure you can. Maybe, but that's not why I told you. He smiled, but it was so sad and hopeless. I'd rather have seen him frown. The same thing is coming for you, too. Even though he spoke quietly, his words echoed like thunder in my ears. Watching Fritz was like looking at pictures of my own life five years down the road. When I would be 17 and hoping to get into a university, only to be rejected. Needing to get a good job, or any job for that matter, only to be turned down. Trying to find someone I could love, only to have him pulled away from me for reasons I would never fully understand. I knew it would happen to me, because it was already happening to Fritz. This all started when Father participated in that uprising 12 years ago, Fritz said, and now his tone grew bitter. He thought because he wasn't arrested that he got away with it, but he didn't. And then he spent every year since then talking to people about ideas that are considered dangerous here. He thought he got away with that too because they were only ideas. But look at where we are now. I started walking again, and Fritz followed along at my side. You and I have ideas too, I told him. And I don't want to become like them. I stared up at him. That's not me, Fritz. And I don't think it's you either. No, it's not, he said. In fact, never mind. In fact, what? Fritz was avoiding my eyes now, so I moved in front of him, forcing him to look at me. Tell me. He opened his mouth, then clamped it shut and walked past me. A new worry sprouted in my chest as I hurried to catch up to him. Fritz had been keeping secrets from Mama for years just to protect her. But something had changed. Now he had started keeping them from me as well.